The Small Dark Room of the Soul Vasquez watched the fat-bearded gringo hold the tiny head by its hair and slowly twirl it in front of him. In spite of the moist, rot-smelling air pressing in like the semi-darkness of the cantina, he could still smell the gringo's sweat. The American grunted and tossed the head onto the table. Counterfeit. Not even a good one. Vasquez took a sip of rum and fingered his knife while eyeing the sack of doubloons on the table next to the man's musket. Maybe he would cut this fat pig's throat and take his gold. What do you mean, counterfeit? It's a real head, is it not? The pig grunted. It's real, but it's probably been stolen from an unclaimed corpse at the hospital or the body of a peasant. Vasquez cringed at the mention of the dead. His daughter's face filled his thoughts. If he had only listened to her cries. He downed his rum and poured another cup. But look at the workmanship. He picked up the head, thrust it toward the gringo and pointed. You can barely see the slit in the back. Have you ever seen anything so neat? The American frowned. That's my point. The incision in a legitimate Hivarot Sansa is drawn together with coarse fiber. He turned the head face out. It looked angry as if it were scowling. Then he dropped it onto the table and made a dismissive gesture. My clients are from prestigious universities and pay good money for the real thing. Vasquez grabbed at the head, spit on the table and turned to leave. To hell with this fat American pig. There were plenty of other buyers, ones who didn't know the difference. He'd find another way to get rum money. He stumbled out of the cantina. Anything to stay drunk and to keep from facing Maria's death. Only now he was stuck with a load of heads, which he'd be forced to peddle on the street. Maybe he could make enough to pay off Rodrigo and buy his heads directly from one of those crazy Indians. Maybe he could pay them to show him how they shrunk the heads. He could make his own counterfeits, no more being the middleman. He sold his heads at a lower price to another peddler, bought two bottles of rum, and went in search of Rodrigo. He found his childhood friend on the outskirts of the village at the forest's edge. Rodrigo leaned back on two legs of a chair against the wall on the inside of an old, decaying hut. A small, tin cup of rum sat in front of him on a battered wooden table. His sombrero tilted forward, partially covering a scar that ran from his left eyelid to his chin. Amigo, Vasquez held up a jug of rum. I've been looking all over for you. I have some business to discuss. Share a drink? Rodrigo pushed his cup toward Vasquez, who sat down, filled it, and took a swig from the bottle. A plump rat scurried across one of the roof timbers and disappeared through a hole in the thatch. Rodrigo smiled at it, then leveled his gaze at Vasquez. You wish to buy more Sansa's, amigo? Vasquez wiped sweat from his eyes and dropped two sacks of doubloons on the table. No more counterfeits. It's what the Indians give me. Vasquez knew Rodrigo was lying. Anyone could get counterfeits. He nodded toward the doubloons. Take me to the Indians. Let me make my own deal. Except for a momentary flicker in his eyes, Rodrigo's expression remained unchanged. 
I'll supply all you want. Vasquez looked down at his hands. But I want to... He saw a flash of metal. Then a machete slammed into the table between the two bags. Slivers of wood flew. The quivering blade swayed inches from his finger. He looked in Rodrigo's eyes and saw nothing but two pieces of flint. I said, I'll supply all you want. Vasquez felt his face grow hot as fear and rage swept through him. That's okay with me, amigo. He snatched up his gold and rum so Rodrigo would not see his shaking hands. I'll be back when you're in a better mood. He turned and started toward the door. Vasquez! He stopped but didn't turn. You drink too much. Pinche! He stormed out of the hut toward the center of town. In spite of a light breeze, the air still felt thick and moist on his face. The damp, rotting vegetable smell of the nearby rainforest pressed in on him. He'd known Rodrigo since they'd been boys. There was no reason for him to treat an old friend like that. A little girl's scream pierced the air. Maria! A bolt of anguish shot through him, followed by the image of a small, darkened room. Maria was gone. He ran in the direction of the cry and saw two ragged, dark-haired boys trying to take a little girl's doll. Hey, you there! Leave her alone! Frightened eyes look up at him. Then the boys darted into an alley, leaving a disheveled little girl alone, clutching her tattered doll. Tears streaked her dirt-smudged face. Vasquez felt as if a cold fist had been driven into his stomach. His heart swelled. Ah, little senorita, your baby has been hurt. He pressed a doubloon into her tiny hand. Take her to the doctor. The girl stared, wide-eyed at the coin, then scampered off. He gazed down the darkened alley and remembered Maria's cries from the storeroom, then the screaming that had turned to sobs, finally fading to silence. He thought she'd cried herself to sleep, but it hadn't been sleep. He filled his mind with the thought of Rodrigo. Fresh, hot anger replaced sorrow. He liked the way it made him feel. Strong. To hell with Rodrigo. If he did not want to share his secret, then his friend would find the secret for himself. He took a roundabout path through the village back streets and approached Rodrigo's from the side. Settling himself between the roots of a huge tree, he watched the hut and the trail that disappeared into the forest behind it. A steady stream of the street peddlers moved in and out, most bringing gold and leaving with shrunken heads and other artifacts. The last two men brought long, heavy cloth-wrapped items that looked suspiciously like dead bodies. As the afternoon sun cast the forest into lines and angles of shadow, Vasquez hugged the base of a tree and watched his friend emerge from the hut. When Rodrigo seemed satisfied that no one watched him, he went back in and came out with two muskets and a burrow. The cloth-wrapped items were across its back. Rodrigo started down the forest path, passing within a few feet of Vasquez through a thick grove of trees. Vasquez followed from a safe distance as Rodrigo walked another mile or so to a steep riverbank followed it for a while before crossing into a small clearing. By now, the forest had grown darker. 
Vasquez stayed hidden in the growing shadows by the clearing's edge. A movement in the bushes made his heart jump. Then an Indian carrying a spear and a large shield emerged from the shadows on the other side of the clearing. Vasquez pulled out a bottle and gulped rum. Tall and well-proportioned, the Indian wore a long skirt and a wide belt made of hair. A beautiful red band decorated with spangles of shell encircled his head. His voice sounded fierce and arrogant. You have the guns and the dead. I have more atzantzas. Rodrigo handed the rifles to the Indian and pulled the bodies from the burrow. The Indian waved toward the forest. Two more Indians stepped into the clearing and set a net full of shrunken heads at Rodrigo's feet. Rodrigo picked up the net and the Indians faded back into the surrounding vegetation. Vasquez dropped lower to the ground as Rodrigo passed, then followed him out of the forest. By the time they reached the village edge, a full moon had risen. To hell with that pig Rodrigo, who needed him. Vasquez would make his own deal. The next day, he used his gold to buy five muskets, four of which he bundled and strapped to his back. The fifth he kept loaded and ready. He went into the forest early with his bundle of goods and two jugs of rum to wait for Rodrigo and the Indians. When the sun had all but disappeared, they came again and made another deal. When Rodrigo went his way, Vasquez hurried around to the edge of the clearing to catch the Indians before the forest swallowed them again. He wanted to call out, but held back for fear of alerting Rodrigo. He stumbled ahead, sweat stinging his eyes and the undergrowth tugging at his clothes. When he looked up a few moments later, the Indians had disappeared. Pinche! He sat down his load and dropped onto his back, his hands cradling the one loaded musket. His breath came in short gasps. The buzz of insects filled his ears. The forest had darkened. He closed his eyes, opened them, and gazed up into the fierce eyes of an Indian. Amigo! His throat suddenly felt dry. You speak my language? Out of the corner of his eye, he saw two more Indians. He pointed to the bundle of guns. Sansas, you show me? I bring more guns, plenty more. Teach me how to shrink the heads. The Indian's eyes narrowed. Then he nodded. The other two men picked up the guns, and the three started back toward the fading sun. Vasquez scrambled to his feet and followed. By the time darkness shrouded the forest, they came to the river. The three Indians sat and talked quietly in their native tongue. He seemed aware of Vasquez, but no one acknowledged his presence. He sat off to the side, clutching his gun, muttering and drinking rum until he lost consciousness. He awoke to noises in the brush. Gray dawn filled his senses. His companions grew quiet as a single line of Indians carrying spears and baskets came out of the forest on the other side of the river. They set up campfires and a temporary shelter on a sandbar. Vasquez stationed himself by the corner of the shelter and nervously sipped rum while the Indians removed leaf-wrapped heads from their baskets, each holding up a respective prize and peeling leaves away. Ragged muscle and tendon dangled from severed necks. Blood that looked black and viscous in the orange glow of the firelight dripped from the strips of flesh.
Vasquez fought back the rising bile in his throat, turned away, and tried to wash the bitterness down with rum. When he turned back, the older, gaunt-faced Indian sat down beside him. Dark, solemn eyes studied him intently. Vasquez couldn't look at the man's piercing gaze, so he turned back to the morbid scene before him. It is the enemy, the old man said. Vasquez jumped at the sound of his voice. No one had spoken to him since the three Indians had first taken his guns. The warriors made slits in the back of each head and skinned them from the skulls, the same way trappers removed the skins from rabbits. They scraped meat from the inside, fastened the eyelids shut and reversed the skin, so the head formed a sack with the neck as the opening. Then thrust pins of wood through the lips to hold the mouths closed, finally securing the lips with fiber. All the openings must be closed to trap the spirit, Vasquez glanced at the old Indian. The orange reflection of the flames danced in his eyes, making him look like an underworld demon. If the enemy's soul escapes, it will be angry and will seek revenge. Si, comprendo. Why was this man telling him this? He only cared about the process, not the superstitious beliefs of savages. They passed the rest of the night watching the warriors in silence. As dawn of the second day broke, the first rays of sunlight illuminated a younger warrior as he half-filled a large earthenware pot with water, placed it on the fire, and squeezed some juice from a vine into it. When the mixture started boiling, he put a head in and collected rounded stones which he put into the fire. The smell of cooking meat filled the air, reminding Vasquez of his mother's stew. He'd never be able to eat again. That afternoon, they fished the heads from the pots. They had shrunk to one-third of their original size. The skin looked pale yellow with thick, rubbery consistency. The Indians sewed up the slit in the back, picked up the heated stones with sticks and dropped them into the heads, then rotated them to make the stones roll around inside. A sizzling sound filled the air, followed by a smell like burnt leather. Vasquez guzzled more rum to try and dull his senses, but the odor persisted. As the heads shrank and hardened, they used hot sand instead of rocks and smoothed the outer features with smaller rocks. That evening, they singed off most of the facial fuzz, except for the eyebrows and eyelashes, then sewed the base of the necks, perforated the crowns, and passed a loop of fiber through them. The finished products were hung from a rack above a fire, where they remained all night to be smoked. Vasquez dozed, waking at dawn to see the warriors polishing their prizes with pieces of cloth. The smoke had changed the heads from yellow to black. How long had the whole process taken? Too long, Vasquez thought. Too much work. There had to be an easier way. The men put their trophies around their necks and started off through the forest. Vasquez followed. After a short hike, they came to a hut. One wall faced a steep riverbank. A door at each end had been made out of hewn planks. He felt uncomfortable entering the hut, as if he had stumbled into an intimate moment. So he stayed by the door, watching as every man with a shrunken head stuck his spear into the ground, butt down, and placed his prize on the point of the spear. 
a group of women came in, cut off a chicken's head, and drained its blood into a bowl. More women came in with bowls of something black. They painted the right leg of each man in spots with blood, and painted black on the left leg. Each man smeared blood on his chest and arms. The women brought in food and drink, while the men danced and brandished their spears. The dance continued all day, ending at dark with much singing and drinking. By this time, Vasquez had slipped inside the door. He could tell the Indians were getting drunk, so he tried some of their drink. It didn't taste as good as his rum, but it had the same effect. As the dancers finished, each man wrapped his head in cloth, placed it in an earthenware jar, and either put it over his bed or buried it in the floor of the house. As the celebration waned, Vasquez passed out from drunken exhaustion. He woke with a pounding headache and a sick stomach. Except for a few women and children going out the door, the Hivaros slept soundly. A gourd with some of their native drink lay at his feet. He pushed himself upright with his back to the wall and nursed the gourd until its effects deadened the pounding in his head. He had learned the shrinking process, but didn't know if he could bring himself to use it. Aside from its grisly nature, the length of time and amount of work were too much. He looked over at the earthenware jars containing heads, then at the fresh burial. Beyond the jars, he saw a net containing still more heads, and remembered Rodrigo bringing them the bodies. Those heads had to be the counterfeits that Rodrigo sold. Why were they here? Did Rodrigo make them here? No matter. Vasquez picked up his musket and quickly removed the net of heads. He emptied two of the earthenware pots of Indian heads into another net and crept out of the hut. Outside, he saw the women and children by the river's edge. He hurried off in the opposite direction. Once he reached the edge of the clearing, he started running, but the undergrowth tugged at his ankles, causing him to stumble and lose his balance. He fell, and the nets slipped from his grasp. Shrunken heads rolled and bounced across the jungle floor. Heart pounding, breath coming in ragged gasps, Vasquez pushed himself up, wiped sweat and dirt from his eyes, and grabbed at the scattered heads. When he thought he had them all, he started forward again, then stopped. He'd missed one by the base of a tree. He grabbed it and noticed that the back had split open from the impact. He started to toss it, then, on impulse, turned it over. A sob caught in his throat like the tip of a spear, and his insides plummeted as if they'd been yanked to the ground. He dropped the head, knelt and made the sign of the cross. Maria, he whispered. Papa, she answered. Why did you lock me in the room? He jerked upright. His daughter stood in front of him. His mouth dropped open. His breath wouldn't come. Then he started to shake. I'm sorry, Maria, he cried. I didn't mean to hurt you. It was an accident. I had too much to drink. But I was sick, Papa. I only cried because I was sick. You wouldn't come. Now you have to come with me. She held out her hand. No, leave me alone. He stumbled backward, then heard noises behind him and to the sides. Shouts filled the air. Then they rushed at him. Something struck him in the head. 
He felt a sharp pain in his leg, another in his back. When he went down, they swarmed, slamming his head into the ground and grinding his face in the dirt. Unable to breathe, he turned his head to the side. Maria stood smiling at him. Someone flipped him onto his back and two others held his arms wide. Another ripped his shirt open. White, hot agony shot through him as a spear cut into his chest in a V-shape above his nipples. He writhed and screamed, but only a squeal escaped. Then they peeled his flesh up in a wave of excruciating pain that exposed the lower part of his neck. His bowels let loose. One last garbled scream was cut short when a spear pierced his neck, ending his pain and a rush of blackness. When he came back to consciousness, he heard the Hivaro's muted singing from a distance, as if it were more of a sensation than an actual sound. Where was he? What happened? Then he remembered the heads. Maria, his agony of the spears flaying his flesh. Was he still sleeping? Had he dreamed it? The pain had gone, but the blackness remained. His eyes, nose, mouth, and ears felt sealed shut, and he had no awareness of his body. Rage and fury swept through him as he struggled to free himself, but his attempts were futile. Vasquez had been trapped in the small, dark room of his soul.